been working through this subject matter of miracles this month, throughout the month of August, and I know I have been encouraged as we look through some of these miracles of Jesus. I've been challenged. Hopefully, you have been as well. One of the things I've noticed just in conversation over the years with people about the subject matter of miracles is that sometimes people have a bit of a loose definition of what a miracle is. Uh, I often find that to be true, especially around Christmas time. Like if anything positive, anything kind of falls into place uh, in a pleasant way or in a way that we feel is positive around the Christmas season, there's this tendency to call it a Christmas miracle. Well, sometimes just nice things happen in life, and sometimes they happen around the Christmas season. It doesn't necessarily mean that God has intervened in some way. Could be, but not always. I think sometimes it gets a little loose with that definition. Sometimes I've noticed this when something unexpected, something confusing, like it doesn't make sense, like where did this come from? Uh, and it's not easily explained. Sometimes that can be defined or classified as a miracle. For example, I had something happen to me back in the spring in, in May when we had you know, the local election. Uh, a few weeks later, like two weeks after that election, I got this letter in the mail, and the letter had a certificate with it and everything, and the letter said that I had won something that I had not campaigned for and didn't know that my name was involved in, and uh, apparently what happened, I was like, this is, a, this is a weird miracle, I guess, this is a strange occurrence. No, it was not a miracle, it was just my family being a bunch of goofballs, and they all wrote my they wrote my name in. Uh, my kids did it. My wife did it. My in-law. It was, everyone was involved. I didn't know it. And so I won whatever this was. I, yes, thanks. It was my brother-in-law. He was part of the conspiracy against me. But uh, so sometimes it's just, just weird stuff happens. It's not necessarily a miracle. So just so we're all on the same page of what we're talking about, a miracle is a special event that is caused by the powerful and intentional action of God that shatters the ordinary laws of nature. I'm really excited about next Sunday as we wrap up the series because we're going to take it in a little bit different direction as far as what we mean by the laws of nature. There is a sinful nature that you and I struggle with on a daily basis, and there is a a, a miracle involved in this sinful nature that you and I have access to that I am just excited to talk to you about next week. As we've been working through this series, one of the things that I've been trying to bring up honestly is just some of the tensions that we might face in our faith when it comes to the subject matter of miracles, some pressure that we might feel on our faith as we pray for a miracle. For example, you, you pray for a miracle, and then there's this tension, there's this pressure that you might feel in your faith as you wait, as you wait to see what God will do, or maybe he won't do what it is that you've asked him for. Maybe he's doing something else. And so we have to kind of process through what does that mean for our faith in God's power? What does that mean for our faith in God's purposes, as we talked about last week? But there's another tension that I wanted to address with you this morning when it comes to praying for a miracle. Sometimes you pray for a miracle. You believe in God. You, you have a certain level of faith in God. Otherwise, why would you pray? You wouldn't pray for, to God for a miracle if you had no faith in God at all. So you pray. You, have some, you believe God exists. You, 
you have some level of faith in him and his power. That's why you prayed for the miracle. But what happens when, when uh, life gets stormy? You probably noticed a theme in our songs this morning. What happens when life gets a little stormy and you wonder where is God in all of this? Sometimes people have this question that uh, the storms of life bring up and, and it relates to what they're praying about. They're praying that God would, would stop the storm, calm the storm, prevent the storm. And they begin to ask questions like, does God even care? Does God even care that I'm going through this? Because it seems to me perhaps that if he cared, wouldn't he do something about it? This morning we're going to take a look at another miracle of Jesus and how the disciples and Jesus, they, they interact over this miracle and it's one of the questions that the disciples bring up in, in this moment in their lives, this storm in their lives. The question gets asked, Jesus, do you even care? And that might be a question that you've been asking. So let's, let's pause and ask God to help us. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to spend some time in your word. Thank you for preserving this story for us. We thank you that we are able to go back and, and, and uh, see what you did in the past and think about what that means for our, uh, our lives today. And I pray that you'd humble our hearts, open our minds to hear from your Holy Spirit today as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 4, would you join me there? Mark chapter 4, grab the Bible you brought with you or the one that's there in front of you in the pew. You can also use your phone, use your tablet, go to our website, click the sermon notes button on our website. It'll take you to all the verses that we're going to be looking at today and some of the notes. Mark chapter 4, while you're finding that, I'm going to go to verse 35. That's where we're going to jump into the story. But here's what's been happening up until this point. Jesus had been teaching large crowds of people by the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee might sound like it's, it's big. It's really just a, a rather large freshwater lake. It's not even really as big as Lake Racetown. I think Lake Racetown is like 27 miles long, something like that. Now, the Sea of Galilee is just a big freshwater lake that's only about 13 miles long. It's about seven and a half miles wide. Uh, so it's not huge, but one of the things about the Sea of Galilee is it has, it's, it's famous for these storms, these violent, uh, terrible storms that just pop up unexpectedly. It's known for that. Just keep that in mind as we jump into this story. Jesus is teaching this crowd. He's in, in a boat. They, they got off a little bit off the shoreline so that he could address everyone on the, on the shoreline there. At the end of the day, uh, Jesus makes a suggestion. Verse 35, evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So the end of the day, long day of ministry, probably sunny out all day long and uh, interacting with people, serving people all day, he's tired. We're gonna take some time across the other side of the lake, let's get some rest. I want you to notice right off the bat Whose idea was it to get in the boat and to go to the other side of the lake? Whose idea was it? Jesus. It's Jesus' idea. Don't forget that. 
Now, I've already kind of spoiled the story. There is going to be, we're about to step into the story where there's going to be this unexpected, terrifying storm pop up. And we know that it's terrifying because these guys who are professional fishermen are going to panic. It's not like this is the first time they've ever been in a storm. They know this about the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure they've experienced it lots of times, but this one is severe. This one's bad. This one has them really, really scared. And Jesus knows it's coming. Jesus is God. That means he knew the storm was going to happen, and yet he still said to these guys, guys, let's get in the boat, and let's go to the other side. Now, I just want to ask you to maybe jump into the deep end with me with a deep thought question. When given the choice, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to share this with your, your neighbor, whoever you're sitting with. But I am asking you just to be honest with yourself, with God. When given the choice, would you stay safely on the shore or would you get in the boat? And I mean metaphorically, right? In, in your daily life, what is the rhythm of your life choices? Do you spend the majority of your time and energy in life avoiding as much risk as possible because you're afraid. You're afraid of what might happen if I get in the boat. You're afraid of what might happen if you step out of your comfort zone and do something new. And so you avoid it at all costs. And it's not that you're agoraphobic. You're not afraid to leave your house, or obviously you wouldn't be here this morning. But maybe, if you're being honest with yourself, your mind, your heart, tends to be consumed with anxious thoughts to the point that you avoid any risk, any possibility of danger. Even if Jesus himself invited you into the boat, your response will be, nope, not today. I'll stay safely here on the on the shoreline, thank you very much, enjoy your trip, send me a postcard, I'm good. If that's you, and I'm not assuming it is, I'm just asking you to be honest, if it's you that thinks like that, could I, could I ask you to ask yourself why? Why are you so afraid is it possible that the reason you have this tendency towards fear consuming your thoughts, consuming your heart, and, and, and even making decisions for you about what you will or will not do, is it possible that it has something to do with what you believe about God or what you don't believe about God? Let's step back into the story. Evening comes, Jesus says to the disciples, let's, let's get in the boat, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they, they took Jesus in the boat, they started out, they left the crowds behind there on the shoreline. Verse 37 says that soon a fierce storm came up, fierce, terrifying, to the point where these guys are really, really scared. High waves breaking into the boat, it began to fill with water. And where is Jesus? Verse 38 says he's sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Again, 
Whose idea was this? Is Jesus' idea, right? If you're, maybe you've asked that question in life just in general. You find yourself in a bad situation. You find yourself in an unpleasant situation. And you look around, you're like, whose idea was this? If you ever see me on one of those roller coasters that goes really, really high and then drops like this, like even inverted, if you ever see me on one of those rides that takes you up really, really high and then drops you up and down until you need to go buy a new pair of pants, if you ever see me on one of those rides, I can promise you it was not my idea to get on it. You will never hear me say, that looks fun, let's go do that. I will never say those words. If you see me on a ride like that, I can promise you the person responsible, the person whose idea it was, I don't want to mention names, it starts with an H and ends with an Anna. That's probably, <laughs> probably whose idea it was to get on this stupid, terrifying ride. But it's not me. Jesus is the one who said, guys, let's get in the boat and go across the lake, knowing full well that this terrible storm was coming. And at this point, we may begin to ask some questions. We may begin to wonder, all right, why didn't Jesus avoid the storm? He knows it's coming. Why not just say, guys, eh, there's a storm coming. What do you mean? I don't see it. No, trust me, there's a storm coming. Let's just wait here. Let's wait it out, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. A storm will do its thing, and then we'll cross the lake. Could have done that, but he didn't. He could have got into the middle of the lake, and, and as the storm begins to, to brew, uh, he could have immediately said, nope, not today, not today, storm, and, and, and prevented the storm from even materializing. And if he has the power to tell the storm to stop, he certainly has the power to tell the storm not to start. But he didn't do that either. I think those are valid questions, but they have more to do with what we believe about the purpose of God and his purposes. So if you missed that sermon, we addressed that last week. If you missed it, go back and check that out this week. Those kind of questions, I think, are legit, but they have more to do with what do we really believe about God's purposes in our lives. But you might also be wondering the question that the disciples asked Jesus. What did they ask? Verse 38, Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples, they woke him up and they're shouting, shouting the idea they're, they're in a panic. What are they shouting? Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Lord, don't, don't you care? If you cared, you would do something about our situation. If you cared, you wouldn't be sleeping. You would do something. That's their conclusion. That's the line they're drawing between their situation and what they see Jesus doing. He must not care or he'd get up and do something. I don't expect you to say it out loud. I don't expect you even to admit it to the person you're sitting with, but I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've maybe even thought it in your mind, Lord, don't you, don't you care if I lose my job? Don't you care that this person I love might die? 
Don't you care if I drown in my sorrow, in my pain? I mean, it seems to me if you care, you do something about it. Listen to how Jesus responds. They wake him up. Don't you care, Jesus? Verse 39, when Jesus woke up, first thing he does, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, silence, be still. And immediately, suddenly, the wind stopped. There was a great calm. So we've already seen now his full humanity on display. After a long day, he was exhausted because he's fully human. And he got tired. And so he was sleeping. But now we see his, he's also fully divine. He's also fully God at the same time. That's why he has the power to say to this storm, stop, and it immediately stops. So the first thing he does is he rebukes the storm. But then he rebuked the disciples. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith. I find it both fascinating and quite honestly quite challenging that Jesus connects their fear to their lack of faith. Jesus drew a line between those two things. Their fear, he connects it not to the chaos of the storm, not to the scariness of the storm. He connects it to their lack of faith. In other words, when I hear Jesus saying this to them, I mean, he, he's sleeping. He's obviously not freaked out by the storm. He's not surprised by the storm. And in this interaction, I hear Jesus saying, guys, don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? You, your conclusion, you, you, you experience this storm, and your conclusion is, I don't care? That's your conclusion? That's your assumption? Why don't you trust me? I wonder if we've ever taken a moment to think about, and we all experience fear in the moment. We can get startled. That's normal. We can have uh, the, these moments of, of fear in life when we first initially find something out that's unpleasant or all that stuff's normal, but what do we do with that in the moments after, in the days to come? Have we ever stopped and thought about this fear, this anxiety that lingers, that continues, that, con that begins to consume my thoughts and impact my behaviors, my choices, all these things? When that begins to happen, do we take time to think about what does that reveal about what I believe about God? What does that reveal about what I don't believe God? What assumptions am I making about God that may be absolutely wrong? And we trace it back to a lack of faith. That's why I say this miracle is challenging to me. As a, as a follower of Christ, I'm certainly encouraged by this story. I'm encouraged to know that when I'm in a storm and Jesus is with me in the boat, I don't have to be afraid. That, that inspires my heart. But it's also challenging because sometimes I know, me, maybe you, we can get caught up and focused on how scary the storm is that we forget who's in the boat with us. If you would, just write this down. You got maybe your outline there. Some fill in the blanks, that might be fun to do. You write this down. 
If Jesus is in the boat with me, I don't have to be afraid. If Jesus is in the boat with me, I don't have to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is always, always more powerful than the storm, and Jesus has promised to always, always be with us. No matter what. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In John chapter 14, I love that chapter. It starts off with Jesus telling his disciples about heaven, about how he's going to go to heaven, prepare a place for them. He's going to come back for them. And uh, he says, you know the way. And Thomas is like, I don't think we know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then that famous verse in verse 6 that we, most of us know, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a, a really, really cool passage of Scripture. And right after that, Jesus begins to describe the coming when he goes to heaven, how he's going to send the Holy Spirit who will help us, who will guide us, who will provide for us peace. And later on in that chapter, listen to how Jesus describes the peace that is coming with the Spirit of God. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Which is how he starts out that entire conversation with them at the beginning of that chapter. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Even when I go back to heaven, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And if you trust in me, you'll have the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you. I will be with you through the Holy Spirit. Always. And he'll bring you peace. I love Psalm 139. There's some really cool passages in the Old Testament. There's one in Isaiah 43. If you don't know that one, write that one down. Isaiah 43, 1 to 3 is a really, really good one. Uh, but this, this is one that I personally have found comfort in throughout the years. Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand, your strong hand will hold me fast. When you are standing in the cemetery, Jesus is with you. When you lose your job, Jesus is with you. When you're sitting at the table and you're working on your bills and another pile comes in and and you're not sure what to do because there's more bills than there are income coming and you're sitting in this moment, Jesus is is with you. When you get that phone call that turns your life upside down, Jesus is with you. When when you thought your friends were going to be there and they weren't, Jesus is with you. And if Jesus is in the boat with me, then I don't have to be afraid. I can have peace. But here's, here's the catch. If you and I, if we want to experience the peace of God in the storm then his presence with us in the storm has to be enough. If we want to experience God's peace in the storm, then his presence with us has to be enough for us. We're not going to experience the peace of God in the storm if our 
assumption, if our conclusion is, God must not care about me. Otherwise, he would do something. If, if, if that's our conclusion, we're not going to experience the peace of God. Yes, having Jesus in the boat with us absolutely means that we can pray for and ask for a miracle, and we should. We should pray to the one who has power over the storm. But it also means that we are with the one. If Jesus is in the boat with us, yes, he has power over the storm. But we're also with the one who can help us ride out the storm. We're also with the one who, if in fact we do drown in the storm, has the power to take our soul to heaven. Is that what we really believe about Jesus? If, if that's what we really believe about Jesus, that he left heaven left the glory, the majesty, the comfort of heaven to come to this earth so that he could be tortured, spit on, put a crown of thorns on his head, uh, whips on his back, nails in his hands and his feet. If he would go through that torture on the cross for us so that we would have the opportunity to be made right with God, to have eternal life with him in heaven. If he loved us that much, why would our, if that's what you believe, why would, why would our conclusion be, well, I'm in the storm, I guess he doesn't care. If he really cared, I guess he would have prevented the storm or, or told me how to avoid the storm. Or. What, do you, what do you really believe about Jesus and his love for us? If you believe the gospel, come back to the gospel whenever you're in a storm Is it okay to wonder what God's purposes are? Yeah, that's fine. God can handle that. It's okay to wonder, look, I don't, I don't, and even ask, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't get it. Uh, do you want to change something in me? Do you want to use my situation to, to help someone else? I, I don't see it right now in the storm, but I know you love me, and I'm going to choose to trust you to help me ride it out, to remove it, to take me to heaven if I don't survive it because I know you love me. The gospel does that for us. You know, I'll never forget one of our first trips over to Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh when, when Faith was young. We made several, but uh, one of the first ones that I remember most vividly um, it was a, the weather was absolutely terrible that day. So you had the stress of just going to a children's hospital with a sick kid. But then you add to that, that particular day, it's late November, early December, and the weather was terrible. It was uh, snowing and there was fog and, and blowing all over the place, kind of whiteout conditions at different points along the trip. It was just terrible. So it added that extra level of stress on the way over. And so I would just describe the mood in the car. It was my wife and I and Faith. I would describe the mood, not panicky, but it was definitely uh, somber. It was definitely serious. And I will never forget, when I close my eyes, I can still visualize coming up over the crest of this one hill, about halfway to Pittsburgh, and the fog and the storm is terrible. And, and we get up to the top, and at that very moment, as we crest that hill, there's a little bit of a clearing out in the distance, you kind of see the, the mountains out in the distance, and in that moment, the song from Casting Crowns, I'll Praise You in the Storm, 
I don't remember if we had the CD on or it came on the radio, but that song came on in that moment. You might know the song. Here's the, here's the words that flooded our hearts in that moment. I was sure by now you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. Well, as the thunder rolls, I can barely hiss, uh, hear you whisper through the rain, I'm with you. And as your mercy falls, I'll raise my hands, I'll praise the God who gives and takes away. And I'll praise you in this storm, I will lift my hands, for you are who you are no matter where I am. Every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You never left my side. And although my heart is torn, I will praise you in the storm. And God just used that moment, he used the words of that song to remind us that his presence is enough. He flooded our hearts with peace. It was just the reminder that we needed that God is with us, not just in the physical storm, but in the metaphorical storm that we were experiencing. That he never leaves our side, and that's what we needed. You know, one of the guys in the boat that day, you might have heard of him, his name's Peter. He, he later wrote this. Listen to what he wrote later on. He wrote, cast all your anxiety on him. On who? On Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. As you think about what Peter's saying, he's not suggesting that we just put, put all your stress, put all your worry, put all your pain, put all your fear into this magic mind bubble and blow it away. Let it go, let it go. It's not what Peter's describing. The word cast here is, is the idea of transferring weight, transferring burden. He's saying let, let God transfer the weight, the burden of your fear of your anxiety, of your pain from you to him. Why in the world would God take our burden on him and carry that weight for us? Because he cares for you. Because he loves you. So the next time we have these, these, these storms in our lives, and if you're not in one, you will be, don't let your mind, don't let your heart come to the conclusion, well, I guess God doesn't care. That's not what's happening. You know, sometimes, and, and I'm going to come back or go back to where I started with this idea of maybe as long as I stay in my safe little bubble, I'll avoid these storms and I won't have to worry about trusting God because I'm just going to stay in the safety of my own little seashore here. Well, sometimes the storm doesn't stay out at sea, does it? Sometimes, sometimes the storm comes ashore. And so, so thinking that as long as I stay in the, on the safety of the shoreline, as long as I don't take the risk of getting into the boat, even if Jesus himself is the one calling you to get into it, 
as long as I stay on the safety of the shoreline, I'll never drown in the storm. It's just not realistic thinking. The safety of the shoreline does not guarantee you avoid the storm. The storm can find you there too. So rather than spending our days trying to avoid every storm because we're afraid, let's just make sure that we know who's with us. Make absolute sure that you know that Jesus is with you in the boat or on the beach. It won't matter. It won't matter where the storm hits you. It will eventually get you. It will eventually hit me, but it won't matter. Because if Jesus is with us in the boat, if Jesus is with us on the beach, we can trust him because he cares for you. There's only one way to guarantee that Jesus is going to be with you and with me through every storm in life. We have to trust him as our forgiver of sin. We have to trust him as our savior from sin and from hell. We have to trust him as our savior, our our Lord, the leader of our lives. And when we do that, when we really believe that he loves us, when we really believe that we can trust him no matter what, then in those moments, the peace of God will flood our hearts because we will know that he's with us. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can always trust that you will be with us no matter what, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. And there may be times in life when we don't, we don't enjoy the storm. It's unpleasant for us and it's scary. And in those days, I pray that you would give us the faith that we need to cry out to you for a miracle, to, to cry out to you and, and pray uh, for a miracle and believing, trusting in your power, but also believing that you love us and trust you enough to believe in your purposes and to never, ever, ever question whether or not you love us, to never, ever question whether or not you care about us. Lord, take us right back to the gospel. Take us right back to the cross. And remind us just how much you really do love us. And I pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen.